There were stormtroopers, artists, at least three princess layers. It was a cavernous place for a cavernous cavalcade of cavernous comic aficionados. New York Comic Con, where madness walked hand in hand with earnest appreciation. Okay. Okay, so I'm here with Michael Pellerino of Archie Comic Publications, Inc. Now, I have to ask you, Michael, is there any chance that you might push the envelope even a little bit to make him just a tad less squeaky clean? Or is his squeaky clean disposition something that will last until the end of time? Mine or Archie's? Archie, oh, you both of yours. Oh, no, no, of course not. He's, he's the perfect kid. He just got, he, he got caught, he almost cheated on a calculus test, but that's as bad as we're gonna go. Really? Yeah, it's, it, two girlfriends is enough trouble for him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering though, I mean, you know, times change, norms change, folkways change, mores change. Why can't Archie be sort of, you know, muffed up a little bit? All right, what do you got in mind? Well, you know, maybe he could, you know, two girlfriends is of course certainly something. Trouble, but, but you know, uh, I don't know, maybe he could have a drinking problem, a minor drinking problem. Maybe he could have one sip and then have to be excoriated from the community. Of course, he has all those milkshakes. I mean, come on, that's a drinking problem. Yeah. You know the amount of calories in a milkshake? He has to work out a lot. That's why he has two girlfriends. Yeah. Oh, so are you alluding to some... No, no, no. Well, you just said you, that's why he has two girlfriends. You know, he mows lawns, he has to work jobs, he's always busy burning calories to make money to take the two girls out. Yeah. On dates. Behave yourself. Well, see, I'm wondering if there's some sort of enforced memorandum that comes from the top that says, no, Archie cannot go in certain areas. I mean, would this, is there some sort of Archie mandate in the office here that you can only go so far? I, I. Nature dictates everything. Little kids love him the way he is. You, I have to worry about. Oh. Well, <laughs> I mean, Betty could wear a miniskirt at some point. They always wear miniskirts. Look at well, oh, well, yeah, they do wear miniskirts. A micro, okay, that, okay. Okay. I was nervous about that too. I mean, geez, we're gonna get in trouble for that. Really? Have you? But I mean, have you had any mail come in on Betty's miniskirt? No. Jeez, what kind of company do you think we are? Well, no. You, I mean, have you had any mail complaints from readers that Betty's miniskirt was perhaps a too too short or something? No, no, never. Oh, well then. I'm wondering why you can't push things further then. I mean, you know, if you got Betty's miniskirt, you start with them there, and then you go further with Archie. I mean, there could be a gay character wait, in the Archie Ar universe. Wait, you want Archie in a miniskirt? Uh, yeah, why not? Well, Milton Berle did it. We could probably handle it. Okay. Well, how long have you been with the Archie universe I here? I've been with Archie eight years. Eight years. Eight years. I'm a pup in the woods. Have you found your own disposition changed for the cleaner over those eight years? Well, you get older, you get a little nicer, I hope. So Archie domesticated you, your employment with Archie? Yes, 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 oh, yes. Okay. It's all that happiness in milkshakes. You can't help but be uh, a little happy. Do you like milkshakes? Yes, I like milkshakes. Do you drink lots of milkshakes in order to get in touch with the Archie ethos? No, I have to drink less milkshakes so I can still fit into my pants every day. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. Keep okay. up the good stuff. So I am here with a fellow podcaster named Joe Gonzalez of Comic News Insider, who is trapped to his table while I'm roving the floor. What's going on here, sir? Is this real journalism to sit on your ass at a table? Well, one would think so, but uh, we're here at the podcast arena at uh, New York Comic Con in 2008, where we have several podcasters here kind of... Um, exploiting themselves for the masses. I didn't get an email for Podcast Arena. I don't need a Podcast Arena. I don't see microphones going up against each other like American Gladiators or something. 
Exactly. I'll take my uh, microphone out. <laughs> see, see, you're stuck to the stand there. That's right. No, that's why we're the arena. So it's like a throwdown arena, you know. <laughs> so, so, so basically, you're counting just people to walk by and get interviewed. Is that your? Uh, actually, we'll have several interviews lined up over the course of the weekend. That they'll come here. We'll do stuff here. We might go out, and we have uh, some interviews already scheduled. So we're gonna have guests here at our table, and other ones that we're gonna go out on the floor. Oh, but that's no fun to have everything scheduled. I know. I mean, how do you approach something as crazy as New York Comic Con <laughs> by having everything scheduled? I mean, you don't have any time for anarchy. That's true. There is no time for anarchy. I also had to organize the podcast arena, so I had even less time for anarchy. Yeah, but you didn't contact me. I do comics. Well, you should have contacted me. I was organizing the space. Well, you could have been here. but you. I, I don't need to be here. I, I love the floor. I love wandering. Anarchy when there's portable equipment. You're stuck to your table. I am. I'm tethered. Are you plugged in? I am uh, plugged into what? No, but plugged in by AC. That's the question. Oh, I am. Oh, see, I'm not. See? Well, if you have, nee, to, nee, nee, nee. If you have to charge up, you can sneak by. We'll let you charge. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, well, maybe you should try. I'm just suggesting having a mobile podcast arena. Perhaps a vehicle of podcasters going through the floor, some sort of crazed bicycle or something. That's true. Maybe even like a like golf carty thing all decked out with stuff. Not a bad idea. Okay, fair enough. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. For, thank okay. you. name, sir? My name is Aaron Gould. Aaron Gould of Duncan. Hey, how, what are you doing here with the Speed Racer yo-yo? Are you ashamed of your non-Speed Racer yo-yo? Um, well, I'm actually not too familiar with this. I mean, like, I know we have the Speed Racer yo-yos, but uh, must be some, I mean, you know, since the movie's coming out, it must be some uh, special promotion deal that Duncan has so, so with. Are you, are you employed by Duncan? Actually, no, I'm just helping out for today. Okay, so, okay. I actually work with a company in New York called Yo-Yo Nation. They retail yo-yos all over the world. And so I'm just helping out here because I live in the city and they, us yo-yoers aren't quite as, you know, available and, you know, as, as, as most other fields, so they take it they can get. They're outsourcing, basically. Yeah, right. Was there any Dunkin' Yo-Yo orientation session that you had to sit through before you came here to Comic-Con? No, I've been in this business so long, I don't need any orientation anymore. Not even for the Speed Racer-specific yo-yo? Oh, nothing, no. I can handle anything as far as yo-yos go. How long have you been a yo-yo man? I've been yo-yoing for almost uh, a little over ten years now. So. Any championship credits? Um, no world or big national things. I've I've placed top twenty in nationals and top thirty at worlds at one point in time, uh, way back in probably 1999, back when I first started. Lately, I've stopped competing just because I go to school now here and I just don't have time to practice much anymore. So that's about the the, the, the best I've gotten in the yo-yo world. But you can't give up the yo-yo. I can't give it up. It's just too much of a part of me to give up. Will you be buried in your grave when you die with your yo-yo? Most likely. Probably. How many of your fellow friends are yo-yoers? Um, in New York, I have a couple friends. Since I'm, since I'm affiliated with Yo-Yo Nation, I have a couple friends that yo-yo. I, I don't know, three or four that I know of and I hang out with constantly. Uh, back in Arizona, where I'm from, about half of my friends are yo-yo players. So... It's so there's a disparity between Arizona and New York yo-yo uh, per capita. Uh, I would say there's a lot more yo-yoers in New York. The problem is New York is so big that we don't always get to meet up. In Arizona, it's a lot smaller, so it's really cool when we do find each other because it's there's very few of us. So when we do, we're very tight, the click, a tight click, I guess. Aside from Yo-Yo Nation, are you aware of any secret societies involving yo-yo folks? Uh, yes, but I'm I'm not allowed to speak about them. 
Okay, well then can you tell me if there's like a Masonic handshake or something? Uh, there's nothing quite like that. It's a little bit more abstract, sort of secretive stuff, secret websites, secret little or organizations, but I can't really talk about them beyond that. Yo-Yo Dadaism? Uh, you could see it. I, I think some might see it that way. I personally don't, but some might argue for that. So. Well, thank you so much for your time, sir. Okay, I'm here with Jack Rinka, who is the official Dunkin' Yo-Yo guy, officially. That is correct. I am the official Dunkin' guy officially. Okay. Well, what are you doing outsourcing Dunkin' to Yo-Yo people, and Yo-Yo Nation people? Well, we're not really necessarily outsourcing so much as bringing them into the fold. We want, we want, you know, a bigger family, a bigger army. When you want a bigger army, you join up with other armies, and then you... family or army. I mean, there's two opposing concepts there. Not really. They can be the same. Uh, I think, I think, I think uh, most crime films that you see consider them to be the one and the same, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, if you're talking about army, you're talking about war. Are you trying to go to war with other people who aren't yo-yo enthusiasts? No, maybe just other yo-yo companies who don't believe the same way we do. But really, Duncan's got pretty much the market, I would think. And that's what we want you to think. Oh, okay. See, I actually, that was a trick question. I don't think Duncan has the market. Then who do you think does? This other yo-yo company. Which one? The three other yo-yo companies. You're, uh... You're not convincing me very well. Oh, well, you don't know what's going on in my head. You're right, I don't. I don't okay. know if I want to. Honestly. All right, all right, all right. What makes Duncan the synchronon of yo-yos? Well, we've been, we've been in the business longer than anyone else. We've outlasted all of our competitors and bought most of them. Um, we have among the best players in the entire world. We have Aaron Gould from Yo-Yo Nation. We have... You have him? I mean, he doesn't have his own free will here? No, of course not. Of course not. I mean, you can't just rent him? I, mean, I suppose we could rent him to someone else, but why would we do that? I mean, have you, has he signed a lease with Duncan for life? Is this why he's going to be buried in his grave with a yo-yo? We, we, didn't, we didn't lease him. We own him. It's real ownership. Well, that's, but it's, it's loving ownership. I mean, it's, you know, it's loving, safe word using slavery. That's the way it works. Well, well thank you so much. I'm, I'm very troubled by this idea of chattel, but uh, I'm sure you mean well. We, we do. Okay. I, I, thank, thank you. gentleman who is selling lightsabers here uh, $85 $100 these are rather enormous prices uh, why why is it so hard I mean you have some sort of Lucasfilm situation here that you uh, have to No, actually Master Elbica uh, manufactured these and they uh, lost the license they did not renew them so uh, we got quite a bit of stock at the end and uh, we're just trying to sell them, and as we get lower on the price, we will raise the prices, of course. Oh, I see, I see. I, what's the supply versus demand for lightsabers? Oh, uh, well, actually, these are a hottest selling item right now, besides, like, the newest four-inch figures that come out every month. So, I mean, they're just doing really well. Some, uh, we sell some as low as maybe around $80, and as they get lower in quantity, maybe if we get run down to, like, 10 to 25 we might raise it up to 150 to $200. I'm wondering, have you thought of, say, European markets, given the current economic crisis? They actually uh, do sell over there. Master Replica distributes things over there, so... Uh, You're North American, then? Yeah, it's not really our market, I guess, since they can buy it and ship it over in cartons. Have you moved any lightsabers so far? 
Uh, at the show? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we've done some, but the show's just getting started here at 3 o'clock, so we expect to sell probably about 30 of each. Do you do any custom lightsabers at all? Or? We don't. There are a couple websites online that do that. What do you explain to the person who needs a custom lightsaber and sees your models and they're not exactly what you need? $100, you know? Uh, right, well, there's actually two that I know of, uh, or actually one that I know of. It's uh, ultraforcesabers.com, so they can check it out there. And they do nice work. We haven't seen any in hand, but we've seen the website. What's the balance for you in terms of doing this for the love and doing this for the money? Uh, and I just got to make a correction. That's actually Ultra Sabers, not Ultra Force Sabers. So ultrasabers.com. And what was the last question? Oh, about love versus money. Uh, well, I mean, it comes hand in hand. I mean, if you enjoy doing something, you should do well at it. But you would rather, I mean, obviously money is a good indicator if you're going to raise the uh, lightsaber price. Right. Well, it helps us stay in business longer and uh, be able to produce more items, I guess, for our customers. I mean, I'm wondering what kind of overhead that a lightsaber company might have. What and again, actually, we're just uh, like we're not the manufacturer, so we just sell it. Yeah, we just distribute it. So it's really hard to say, but I mean, if you're licensing these, they'll be pretty expensive. Just how many, for how, many, how many lightsabers do you have in the warehouse? Um, well, on some we might have as low as twenty, and others we might have hundreds to maybe a thousand. So basically, the company that initially was distributing this went out of business, and you took over. I mean, how long have you been in business? Uh, well, we've been selling these since they've been in business and kind of at the end of all their uh, lines, we just buy all their extras if they want to get sell them to us at a good price. Whatever they need to do to get rid of the product, I guess. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks a lot. Williams of FanLib. FanLib.com. We are the place where fans come together en masse to create and share stories, videos, artwork inspired by their favorite TV movies and books. And we work uniquely with studios, networks, and publishers to create officially sanctioned fan events. So you can write a story about Speed Racer in an event we just launched. If your story is voted the favorite by the fans, you're off to Hollywood where you get a VIP of VIP tour of Warner Brothers Studios. Off to Hollywood? Off to Hollywood. Is there any particular person who has in fact been off to Hollywood that can support this particular claim? Well, how about Vancouver? We ran an event with a with the around wait, the... Wait, wait, you said off to Hollywood here. Well, they haven't won it yet. They haven't won it yet. But we have done events where... I'm this getting is, a little weary here. Listen how cool this is. So we ran an event around the Showtime show, The L Word. Fans wrote in a scene. The scene was was elected by the fans the best. The winning writer flown to Vancouver on the set of the show during the shoot meets the creator all of this all of the cast. Her scene is performed and incorporated into the show. So we actually had a fan submission make it from our site to the to on air on Showtime airing as part of their hit show The L Word. How's this has this particular person who had their seat perform the L word managed to make it on staff or write additional material for the L word? She's a student at NYU, that's where she's going. Yeah, but I'm wondering though if she has a desire to write whether this actually leads into additional 
professional writing, aside from just being flown out onto the set. Uh, it certainly doesn't hurt. Now she's got all these great contacts at the show. She knows the creator and people from the cast. And there's great video, too, of her behind the scenes interacting with them all. It seems like everyone's having a good time. These look like, uh, you know, professional contacts for life from her. She gets out of college. Her, you know, her, her check is, is, is good to go. Well, I mean, I'm wondering, though, if... if Basically, what you're trying to do is make legitimate fan fiction so that someone who writes fan fiction doesn't have to worry about lawsuits. Is that your whole de deal? Fans don't have to worry about lawsuits. We work hand-in-hand -hand with the studios, networks, and publishers. We've been blazing this trail for several years. We've got teams of lawyers, and we have worked with, with the major studios and networks, and they are now in the position of blessing the fan creativity. So fans don't have to worry about getting sued. Now, if they're going to come out with a Harry Potter book that's going to yeah, make it to that's, that's going to make it to store bookshelves, well, but then they're potentially interfering with the market for the real Harry Potter books. So that's a whole different thing. What we're doing is letting them come online and share their creativity, do fun stuff, and then we do these great events with the networks and studios. They embrace us, they embrace the fans, and everyone's happy. Well, thanks so much. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Okay. Yes. I'm here with Dan Perraro, who is the man behind Bizarro. And rather than ask you where do you get your ideas, I'm going to ask you when do you know that you have the right idea? Um, I know that I have the right idea when um, I have no, I have absolutely no prepared uh, punchline for this. When do I know that I have the right idea? Um, when it when it makes me smile. Obviously, when it makes me smile, I come up with an idea and I think, oh, that's funny. I will draw that. In terms of irony and association, what do you what do you do on a regular basis? What sort of regimen do you have as a creative artist to keep free association going, or does it just naturally happen? Ah, it kind of naturally happens, but um, the only time that I can come up with almost, I'd say like 99 point something percent of all the cartoons I've ever written have been written within the first hour of the day after I wake up. And then after that, my mind gets polluted with God knows, you know, everything, and I can't think anymore. But almost all my cartoons are first thing of the day. And, it's, uh, and one of the things that I do to keep the juices flowing is I travel a lot. I like to try to go to a lot of different countries, a lot of different cities, a lot of different cultures, and uh, you know, keep stuffing new things into my head so I can pull something new out of it. Well, you're also writing for newspapers, and there are certain limits to what you can actually have going on in newspapers. I mean, so does this pose a problem for you? Um, is it, not really, because I'm so used to it. I've been doing it so long now that it's just the way I think. Um, and, and when I come up with other stuff that can't be used in the newspapers, I will, you know, I'll put it in my blog. Occasionally I will sell something to a magazine, or I can publish. Uh, Bizarro is pretty popular in uh, Scandinavia, and they have, they have a completely different standards. You can get any kind of sex or religious joke into the newspaper in Scandinavia. They're not, they're not sensitive about either of those issues really. So, so sometimes I will sell, uh, if I come up with some sort of an adult themed or a, a joke about Jesus or something that you know you can't get away with in a, in a family newspaper in the US, I'll just sell it to somebody in Scandinavia and they'll publish it. What's the percentage of Scandinavian strips compared to the American strips? Uh, it seems like there's kind of a bizarro deluxe here. You mean in their paper? Yeah, what? that you come up with. Oh, I see. Stuff that, oh, oh, stuff that, how many, how many have I sold? Yeah. Oh, very few. It doesn't happen all that often because I, I don't really have a huge market for it, you know. Um, it's only when something happens to occur to me. Uh, I don't ever sit down and seek to come up with an... I, I used to do, although I used to do that, I used to do cartoons for Playboy. 
Uh, and I, uh, one reason or another, I got I got kind of tired of. Um, there's an, an oddly um, an odd amount of bureaucracy involved in writing comics for Playboy. You wouldn't think so, but uh, there is, and I got a little tired of dealing with it, and so I, I don't do stuff for them anymore, so I don't sit down to specifically think of adult comics, but every now and then one will hit me, and uh, I'll jot it down, and if I think it's funny, funny enough, I'll draw it and send it to Scandinavia, so that's, there's probably maybe 30 adult jokes out there that have never been published in the U.S., I mean, there's also, I know, I've talked to other syndicated cartoonists, and they have suggested to me that in the last 10 years, there's been a gradual, the ceiling has been falling down as to what you can get away with. Have you experienced this? Or? Um, yeah, you can. I, you can actually get away with more. In fact, I, I have published cartoons in the last year that were turned down three years ago. Um, people are, I think that because competition for, I think, you know, Competition for news and stuff is getting uh, uh, steeper all the time, and newspapers are losing some some market share to the to the web and television. So, I think they're more interested in finding interesting, controversial things that will that will uh, um, you know that will uh, inspire people to pick up the paper. So you can you can actually get away with a little more now than you could before. Yeah, it's definitely changed just within the last three years. I've noticed it. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. My name is Ross Mahalko. Ross Mahalko, and you're the man responsible for Dead Dick Zombie Detective. Absolutely. Zombie Detectives, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. There's a movie that came out called Zombie Strippers. That's uh, right. How many occupations really are there? What? Why a detective? I mean, you know? Well, it's, uh, you know, we're going for a story that's set in 1954 in Chicago, and it's a private investigator just working a, a regular uh, cheating spouse case, ends up getting bit by, uh, by a zombie. Now has to keep his brain alive using medicine, and still dead, still eating human flesh. But uh, now he gets to solve cases for ghosts and the living. See, I look at a title like Dead Dick, and I get deviant ideas. Yes. Well, the website is called Zombie Dick. Uh, you know, willing to give you more deviant ideas. Wow. And if it, is this what it takes to get attention these days, you filthy man? Ah, uh, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's not our goal, but hey, if it all falls down, we can get a nice porn site out of it. But see, here's the thing. I, I, <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, so you really are courting the necrophiliac crowd. Uh, you know, somebody has to. Uh, and uh, uh, I think, I think uh, they'll like the book, but hopefully we'll get a broader audience. Yeah. 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 Oh, you should do a tie-in with Zombie Strippers, this movie that just came out. I, I think so. I think it only makes sense. Well, I mean, okay, so let's talk about the mystery aspect of this. I yes. mean, uh, it seems to me that you sex is more in your mind than being true to this great, wonderful mystery genre. So what of this? Well, you're the one who called me filthy. I'm not well, a... You, you're the man who titled this dead dick. Hey, uh, private detectives, private dicks, it's all in the name. Yeah, well, not a, pri not a private eye, you know? Well, yeah. You're going to call it dead eye. In fact, that even gets even more filthy. And, yeah, <laughs> you can't get around this. I can't. I, you know, it's 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 where uh, it's where zombies have cornered me, uh, okay. and I'm just trying to find my way out with a machete. Well, are you planning other vocational lines for zombies? Or? Well, in the book, uh, after the the miniseries, by the end of it, the the mayor, the chief of police, and the archbishop of Chicago are all zombies. Ooh, I like that. Dead archbishop. Dead archbishop. Look look for the spinoff. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. So this is Tim Fish, 
who has a rather fishy title named Calvocate of Boys. What's up with this? I, I, I see artwork here and I get particular ideas. Oh, this doesn't exactly look like a Calvocate. It looks like uh, something else. Uh, well, in, inside there's probably a Calvocate, uh, but it is gay romance series. Okay. So uh, Calvocate is written as a series of uh, short stories that are sort of intertwined to build a larger story arc, sort of a soapy gay romance, okay. um, a little bit on the serious side and not on the um, frivolous side of things. So, um, it's well, a that's, a, that's a troubling conundrum because you've named it Calvocate of Boys and some people might look to that as more frivolous as opposed to more serious and romantic. How, how, how do you correct a possible titular impression here? Well, it really, I mean, for the uh, gay community, it may just be a reality of yeah. regardless of how hard you try or may what you may want, there may always be a Calvocate. So it's really about people trying to break beyond that. Well, I mean, so, so collectively, all the narratives form a cavalcade. Yes, then. exactly. But you there is it. no actual cavalcade in the book. Um, I mean, not literally a parade, but one of the characters is kind of trashy. Okay. So, okay. so wait, so so there is some salaciousness, even though it's serious. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, how, how, I mean, this this must have been a moral dilemma, an artistic dilemma for you to balance the seriousness with the frivolous. It's uh, I'm getting a little bit of a mixed signal here. Well, I, I really did try to go for what I saw as an honest representation of what I saw around me, and not so much a um, trying to sell sex or or give the public something a lot more serious. I really tried to just say these are the people that you probably have met or will meet and hear their stories. And I, I get that feedback a lot that, oh, it sounds like we know all the same people. Um, so I, I think I have sort of achieved a, 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 that sort of balance between a serious representation where, you know, sometimes people do act badly or, or, or everyone goes through phases where suddenly they're in the, in the midst of a cavalcade, but um, then maybe later they're not. Yeah. Maybe the, the idea here is to take back the word cavalcade for serious moral purposes. Well, you know, I've, it's a it's a blessing and a curse because I've been I've been using the title for a while, um, several years now, and so to collect everything into into one volume. And I did intend to end the series when I compiled the volume. Since then, my local paper has contracted me to do an ongoing half-page weekly serial. So. Yet, yet again, I, I, I'm drawn back into the cavalcade. Um, so I, I'm trying to... Um, young Bottoms in Love here, too. I, I mean, if you're going for a serious in content, then... That, that, that was meant to spoof the uh, 50s romance comic titles. Okay, so your career girl romances and secrets of young brides. Yeah. So that, it was really meant to be along those lines. And um, uh, uh, start off as a webcomic that I just was doing whatever I wanted and other guest creators ended up uh, participating. The book has several DC and Marvel folks involved as well. Uh, so full-color book, really ranging in style from very serious to very silly. So this book actually does have a lot of lighter material in it. Um, and I, I really wanted it to, uh, to be a vehicle for creators to do whatever they wanted, so long as it fell within the scope of gay romance. So. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you. All right, thanks. Patch? Yeah. Should we just call you Patch or Chris Patch L? Patch? Yeah. Patch, okay. The mysterious Patch of Teddy Scares, who was sitting here standing by himself and nobody was around, and I has to ask you, perhaps, does this have something to do with inverting the nature of the cute and cuddly teddy bear? Into the Absolutely. Uh, the bears are zombie teddy bears. Uh, it's what happens to your bears when you leave them behind. Or this 
neglected. I'm, I'm concerned because the idea here, at least currently, I mean, I, maybe like five minutes ago, people were just going for the zombie teddy bears here. I mean, you know, it's rather sparse. So what, what, what do you think that uh, teddy bears and zombies really are, are meant to mix together? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, just foot traffic. They'll be back. People will be around. Dead spots everywhere? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, how did you launch upon this particular... Um, actually, it was created by Joe DiDomenico um, about five years ago. His sketchbook's filled with stuff like this. Um, started with the 12-inch toys, and then we have 6-inch and 13-inch uh, and 8-inch toys. Here. There you go. And then um, it's actually now a comic, and um, we have some animation, and we've done t-shirts and stuff like that. So, so how long has this been operation been around? About five years. Five years? Yeah. And uh, do you put these into stores? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can get them online, and they're usually in your local comic shop. Okay. Well, what, I mean, is there anything more than just zombies and teddy bears here? I mean, tell them the character arcs. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's five different bears in Series 2. Uh, there's Mundy Drudge, who is, like, pieced together, um, and his face comes off. There's uh, Maisie, who, um, Maisie Podge, who is pieced together from other plush toys. Eli, our trucker bear. Um name escapes me, uh, Granger, our prisoner bear, and our sleepy time bear, whose fingers, you can put your fingers in his eye sockets. Uh, it occurs to me that this is similar to ugly dolls. Uh, no, ugly dolls are actually more cute and cuddly. Um, same these are cute and cuddly too, you know, yeah. there's fur, uh, there's where, where ugly doll could be a little bit for a younger audience, ours is kind of PG-13. Well, maybe it may not be PG-13 in a few years. Have you, has that occurred yeah. to you as norms and mores uh, and folkways change? Oh, absolutely. Um, and actually, our comic is, is skewing a little bit younger, and even the smaller bears. Oh, are... well, wait a minute. You said PG-13? Well, majority of the stuff is a PG-13. PG are you going to keep your edge with Teddy Scare? Oh, absolutely. They're always, they always have an edge to them. Absolutely. Always? You're sure of that? Yeah, definitely. If I came back to you in five years, you'd say there'd still be edge? There would be edge in Teddy Scare? Yes. Yep. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that and come back in five years. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Patch. All right. Thank you. Kim Keltegrone of Angry Drunk Graphics. Angry Drunk, for the happy person, I'm thinking they're gonna to come to your booth and have a few issues here. How do you get them over to your side? Or is there, am I sort of misconstruing the emotional spectrum here? We really don't need to get them to our side. They're just drawn to us. The, you know, the, we, we do underground comics. We're based in New Jersey. Um, we basically have artists that cannot be picked up by many mainstream distributors. Um, We've artists from all over the country, Canada, and um, all over the country, Canada, and Canada. <laughs> I mean, Canada's our little backwish. <laughs> That's our Canadian over oh, okay. there. <laughs> well, I, I mean, what is there an angry or drunk quality to these well, underground? Before I started with the company, the two angry drunks, Michael and Steve, started the company. Um, they started out by drawing little Xerox comics and would hand them out at concerts and trade them for beers <laughs> and that's hence the name sounds like my life <laughs> yeah <laughs> they basically uh stayed drunk by making comics <laughs> therefore feeding well i mean how does this go back to the art then i mean i mean i'm just curious about the angry and drunk quality of prospective titles here or is that just simply the temperament of the uh, 
the other two gentlemen here. He's the angriest one in the company. You might yeah. want to speak with him. Hey, what's up there? <laughs> who's, who's angry and who's drunk? I, I used to be angry uh, years years ago, but I... You're still angry. Yeah, I drink a lot. Uh, what is that? Don't call me angry, man. It's, it's, it's a device. The hormone nuclear detonator. Is that a tape recorder? Is it only a giant tape recorder? Something like that. Nice. Well, you know, seriously, what is the angry drunk quality to these books here? They're, yeah, they're kind of they're kind of pissy. <laughs> they're kind of angry. The content is angry. Kind of angry? Could you be more decisive, sir? Um, the, the characters are angry. And we're drunk. I'm drunk and I write them. I'm, I'm a drunk. And uh, you, don't write, you don't write these or ink these sober, then? No. Well, sometimes. It depends. Sobriety's overrated, definitely. Sobriety's overrated. But between the two of us, he's angry, I'm drunk, and we make comics. You both seem very pleasant people. We're not drinking. <laughs> okay, well, if you're not drinking, how, how can you live up to the angry junk graphics ethos? What time is this show over? Come back about 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock. Everyone here will be drunk. Yeah. Seriously? Yes. Okay. And it'll be a much better interview. <laughs> do you, do you, I mean, do you have a secret bottle stashed away, or what's no, the deal? No, uh, we'll go to the, the store across the street. Oh, okay. yeah. The uh, BP up there has got beer. If you need some. If you want one, we'll give you one. Don't okay. tell your boss. Cover that part up. <laughs> well, you're both so pleasant. I mean, can you be pleasant and angry and drunk? It depends. Usually it's, usually it's just angry. and Actually, usually it's pleasant. Now, nowadays, it's pleasant drunk and then angry hungover. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> it's hilarious. You can't win it either. Okay, you have not yet plugged any of your titles. Well, what's up with this? I mean, it seems to me that you're more fixated on being angry and drunk than the actual title. You were fixated on that. <laughs> no, I'm just asking the questions. You were asking the same question. The fixation. I was trying to answer the question over and over again. The titles are uh, Spazda Colon and Odd Tales. Odd Tales are a bunch of um, like nursery rhyme, kind of demented evil All nursery rhymes. Books. Yes. These um, are not those all are ages not books. All ages, yes. These aren't even adult books. They're worse than that. Yes. Mike Diana, one of our artists, is the only artist in the history of the United States to be arrested for drawing. And he was actually arrested and convicted, and part of his sentence in Florida was he was mandated never to draw again. And his house was subject to random warrantless searches by police. No. Yes, Google his name, Mike Diana. Mike Diana. Yes. Arrested for drawing what? Arrested for drawing comics. Well, well, what was the content of these content? <laughs> penises. Penises? Yeah. Penises are threatening to the penises national fabric? Combined with this religion. This is the Canadian, is it? <laughs> no, that's not the Canadian. Yeah, okay. Penises and religion. He got barred from drawing. Yes. Spot checks, cops come to his house, throw his drawings away. What? Yeah. Google his name, I'm if telling you. If he wasn't you. so hungover, he'd be here today to help us. <laughs> <laughs> if he wasn't a parole officer there, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> He's, he's actually. Uh, his court papers are one of those. Yeah, one books. of those books right there has all the copies of wow. all his court papers. Wow. He is. All the way to the it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Wow. In like '94. It's even illegal for us to sell it. Wow, I had no idea. Yes. And, and he's found a home with the angry drunks. Yes, he did. We found him. And we love him. Uh -huh. <laughs> I see. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. that's, not, that's so bad. No, no, well, no, I guess no, in the Bible Belt it is, because that was down in Florida, oh, see, and so that's why he's up here now. Jesus. No, yeah. Where, where is this alleged penis and vagina? Penises. It's only draws the penises. Oh, I see. That's not so bad. I've seen worse. No, that's so bad. No, but he's living in Florida. It is. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, this has been a very unusual interview, but thank you so much. Oh, thank you.
Brian Phillipson. Brian Phillipson, writer of God the Dyslexic Doe. Yes, sir. Co-creator. I mean, what, what is up with this God? Why God and, and deities and does and deers? A doe, a deer, a female God. What? You haven't heard that uh, God decided to come back to Earth, but this time as a dog? No. I, I you know, I, I, I didn't think God could come to Earth, given that he's a fictive oh, pee person. I, well, yes, people made him up, but God decided to come back to Earth as a dog. The only problem is every God that man ever created got a little jealous, and they wanted to come back as well. And there's our world of God, the dyslexic dog. Everything's oh, upside. Dog, not doe. It looks like doe. Oh, I know. It, it's it's uh, a misprint. It, no, well, if, if you're dyslexic, it works out perfect. Yes. You flip the G. I, I, yes, I, I, yes. I get that. We're I catering get to our that. dyslexic, our dyslexic deity crowd. Okay, so, so you're really trying to get the dyslexic fundamentalists. You, absolutely. We, you know, you don't want to be criticized by them because then they wouldn't get it. You know, dog dyslexic God. God. Would they take offense if you were to suggest that God was a dog? As opposed to a doe? No, but we've had some dogs be offended that they're being called gods. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. What else would you like to know? No, tell me on this. Tell me about this. Why Why a dog? That's a good question. I've never had... Why a dog? Why a dog? I mean, aside from the obvious from literal the obvious, reason. Yeah, yeah. A dog is man's best friend. Yes, good point. Um, and when the earth is really in danger, who best to turn to than to your dog? But one might argue that a dog is not man's best friend. If he's reversed, because... Oh, wait, I see what you're saying. So God makes all these terrible things happen, right? And terrible things happen despite the possible fictional existence of a God. And yet, well, th good things happen. Because we've been praying to the wrong God. Uh -huh. We've been looking up when he should be petting down. Oh, I see. No, what I mean to say, suggest here is that by flipping things backwards, good things happen. It's a good world if it's a dog as opposed to a, do a God. It would be. I agree with that. It would be. A very good word. A little subversive oh, thing oh, going on. Is this, is this what's going on in the book here? Oh yeah, very subversive. Uh, you got immortal gods who want to kill themselves, but unfortunately they can't die because they're gods and they're still worshipped by people. Uh, you got God who is a dog who he decided to come back as a dog, but the problem was when he came back as a dog, he's stuck being a dog. He's stuck needing to be fed, pet, walked, shit, all that type of stuff. So he needs man. And, and then you got, he's adopted by a little boy who doesn't realize he's God. So God's stuck with a little nihilistic boy. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it's a rather going. bleak, fun world. How, how long? How, how many issues do you have of this? Uh, we have. We did original four uh, black and whites, and we collected it into a trade paperback. And we're actually having our volume two come out this summer at the San Diego Comic Con. Oh, okay. So it'll be about 250 pages of original story and art all together. You get hate mail from this? More love mail than hate mail, but I have. We have gotten some. Yes, yes. Who are offended by the idea of a dog? Yes. Not exactly hate. Not exactly well, hate I, mail. I, I received anger or confusion mail. Anger, I, I, confusion, anger yes. confusion mail. Anger confusion mail. Yes. Not hate. Anger yes. confusion. And I've been people trying to win me over, and there's nothing to win over. You know, <laughs> I believe in dog. What are you gonna say? You know. Really? Yeah. Oh, but, you, so you do believe in you believe in dog or God? I believe in dog a lot more than God. Oh, okay. But that's just me personally. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, what's the, what's how's it going in terms of how much percentage is dog and how much percentage is God? Sixty-nine percent. 70%. Ah, 69%. Uh, You're a man of dyslexia. <laughs> yes, exactly. 69 works out both ways. 96%. Wait, so, so how long have you been a religious man? I, I would say I lost God in 1998. So well, You lost him? Like you misplaced him like yes, your keys? I lost him. I, I, I went searching for him. I couldn't find him. So I lost God in 98. So I've been a religious man for about 10 years now. So, so you're hoping then to make other people religious because of this comic? Uh, religious towards dogs. That's about it. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. I'm not trying to win anyone else over to 
to anything else but to you believe in non-overlapping magisterium. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what? No oh. Overlapping magisterium. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Okay, so I mean, this is our theme. Are you? <laughs> we are. We are very dog damned. Okay, yes. fantastic. Well, thank you so much. No problem, sir. All right. He was little, but we loved him. He was small, but he was swim. He was tiny. Actually. The Waz, though. MD Waz. There, there's another Waz. No, that's me. Really? Because you're a lot younger than the Waz I know, who's also dating Kathy Griffin. Uh, I'm not that guy. <laughs> but that guy also claims himself to be the Waz. Well, what, what distinguishes you as a Waz from that particular Waz? Well, I'm talented. <laughs> I got a He's talented. I got a better comic book. Better taste in women? Probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think indisputably I get better taste than women. What is your comic book, sir? Actually, well, I got two comic books. One is called Barren Soil. The other is called Bitter Midgets and the Marauders from Galaxy X. And this is basically a South, uh, South Park style humor thing. So not really for kid kids, but good for teenagers and uh, fun for the whole family except for Christians. Fun, fun for the whole family except for kids and except for Christians. Yeah, pretty much. That's a limited demographic or a confusing demographic or maybe a contrary demographic to what you're setting out to do. What do I care what goes on behind closed doors? It's all good. Yeah. Well, what makes these midgets so bitter? I mean, it's an obvious question, but I don't know. Well, you know, honestly, uh, I don't know. That's a good point. You know, maybe we should ask a couple. Flip <laughs> <laughs> the book open. You wrote this book too, right? Yes. Well, uh, and you don't know the answer? I don't know. I just, I just, I wrote and drew it, and uh, you know, yeah, I created it, but uh, I think well, you, you created. You didn't write it. No, no. This is completely all mine. You don't know why they're bitter. I, I don't. Explain, sir. These little guys have a life of their own, and uh, I just kind of do the book, and they go where they want to go. You know, I mean, I'm going to give you a free copy to take it with you, and maybe you can come back later and explain to me exactly what the problem is with these guys. But it seems to be doing really well. I'm getting good reaction to it. You know, it's, it's the very first issue, we're debuting it today, and uh, so, you know, we're doing pretty good with it. Well, what delineates the bitter midgets from Barren Soil? Well, Barren Soil is a straight-up uh, thriller series. It's total, total regular comic book. Uh, no, nobody's bitter in that. Very, no, everybody dies. <laughs> oh, but they they die happy? Uh, no. They're not happy from beginning to end. <laughs> are, are, are you a bitter? Seen a trend here, Chris. I don't know. Well, are, are, oh, Chris, he's not just the Waz. He's Chris. I'm Chris Wozniak, the Waz. Bitter comics creator. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're just completely different series. You can see, like, one's. Very, uh, it's a straight-up humor book. One's a, you know, straight-up kind of thriller, deep, dark, uh, noir book. So. Would you say that you're a bitter man? You don't you seem very pleasant. I'm pretty good, you know? I'm Maybe that's how I get it out, though. Yeah. So. The world to all comic people is write a bitter comic so you can get all those negative energies out. Purge your demons. You know, it's what I do for a living, I guess, now. So. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mr. Watts. Thank you, I appreciate it.
Okay, so I'm here once again, another convention, another uh, side of the of the nation with Jeffrey Brown. How's it going? It's good. So what's what's going on here? You've been very prolific um, as you usually are. Yes, I I found a way to draw while I'm sleeping, and um, then I wake up and I redraw those things because I don't draw very good when I'm sleeping, but um, somehow I still manage to get a lot done. Well, the other thing I have to ask you about is also this Canadian sex thing that you were on. I saw some clip. In fact, Staros actually sent that to me. That makes it, that makes it sound much more sordid than it is. Um, there's actually very, very little mention of sex in, in it, but, uh, but it, which is why I asked. But it is on, it is on, uh, uh, for a Canadian uh, website, Sex TV. I guess it's dot com, dot org. I don't know. Try, try those. One of the, one of them will be the right one. The other one will probably lead you to actual porn. I'm just wondering how these people. They took one look at you and said, "Hey, this is a perfect guy for Sex TV." Well, explain, well, no. I mean, um, my, I, I have written the the relationship books, which which do deal with with sexuality in different ways. So, I mean, although I've moved away from that, uh, certainly there there is that precedent. Yeah, I know. I saw the robots book, but nevertheless, no. nevertheless, the past is coming back to there, you in the there's, present. There's actually sex in the robot book too. Yeah. So, okay, but I mean, personal sex is what we're talking about. Versus robot sex. Right. Yeah, so the past of the personal sex is coming and encroaching upon the present. Well, no, because I don't really write about my personal sex, <laughs> sex anymore. I know, I know, but, but I'm saying that people but, are still interested in the past. Yeah. So uh, this might be a That's conundrum. True. Maybe people are expecting more of that in the present, um, or the future. Yeah, well, that uh, I just keep dangling it in front of them. Oh, that sounds bad. <laughs> What I mean to say is that I, maybe I, I can just make it seem like I might write more of that, but then I'll just really just write whatever I want. Okay, I, I propose something for you. What if you were to fictionalize the personal, and therefore it's not personal sex, but it's fictional sex? I mean, you did that with the robots, but to have a story that doesn't involve you as the chief protagonist. Um, that, yeah, no, um, I'm actually, well, yeah, it's, I have like lots of ideas and, and, um, I've got a couple more kind of autobiographical things that I want to cover, um, like including writing about religion, um, growing up with my dad being a minister, and, um, and I, I want to write a book about pregnancy, and um, the book that I'm working on right now is about becoming a cartoonist. Um, and then once those are out of the way, um, I have some ideas about fiction, like stories that I want to get into, although um, the, f the first one, at least, there's no sex, so, there, well, there could be, I don't know, I haven't written it yet, It's so. not all sex, I'm just trying to point out the first person versus third person versus fictive versus real and all that. Well, if you don't know me, I guess it's, it's all know, fiction, I mean, right? I yeah. I, I don't know you. Well, you kind of do. This is, well, <laughs> not entirely, because this is entirely true. That's the question. But to people listening to this, they don't know... Well, now they know that we're talking about it. We're clarifying. But to them, to them, this could be fiction. Oh, you may not even like, be Jeffrey Brown. That's... <laughs> <laughs> True. Oh, but no, but, okay, so let's talk about this re reality versus yes, what you put reality. in your books. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, well, it's something, yeah, I, 
and I haven't entirely figured out why. I mean, there's something about when it's when you know it's true, when it, you know it's like there's there's something about that honesty or authenticity that that kind of heightens the impact of things sometimes, and which I think is why I've avoided um, doing more fictionalized autobiography that yeah. that and and sometimes I've like thought about moving in that direction and then it just doesn't feel right for what I've done so far so um, but on the other hand um, like books like like some of the big head stuff there is like there are very like personal autobiographical elements that are in there so in a way I've kind of do it occasionally like in various half-assed ways but I'm wondering what boundaries you're placing on yourself as you're getting older, as you have a family and all that. I, I definitely, well that's definitely like, yeah, like not writing about personal sex anymore. It's like definitely like there's boundaries there that I'm much more aware of. And um, you can see that in the, the new book, Little Things, where um, everything's approached from like a slightly different direction where it's I'm much more careful about what I'm revealing and how I'm revealing it. and. Um, and this issue of authenticity that you were talking about earlier, I mean, this kind of poses a bit of a problem if you have boundaries like this. Unless you just ignore it and just like, fuck it, I'm going to do, oh, wait, can I say it? Like, okay, I don't, you can say whatever you want. No. Oh, it's going on the internet? internet? Oh, internet, yeah. No, um, no, it's, um, yeah, then I just leave those questions up to people analyzing the work and then I, then I just ignore the problems. So, wait a sec, wait a sec, you're, you're, that, that was a very great way of evading the question here. I, I'm asking I I about, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, well, I, I'm, I'm going to have to put it, just, just, just try to get an answer from you on this notion of how you retain truth despite having these boundaries. I mean, certainly, <laughs> well, I mean, okay, well, there's, there's a theory in, that, that some people have is that like fictionalizing you like by lying you can get at a a more real truth so in that sense like whatever boundaries I have are I'm like walking some sort of line between like those boundaries forcing me to to reveal some kind of more pure truth in that sense so and but I mean then you can go in like uh, you know how reliable is my memory and like maybe I mean I think people that know me would would generally say I'm pretty honest but um, it's also possible that like I could be all big act and I'm a really good actor totally like I guess so. the, the issue I have is that here, here you are putting some kind of identity let's not it doesn't really matter how true it is. Right. Nevertheless, it is true in some sense, and then there are these boundaries on top of that. So as a result, you're painting yourself into these interesting limitations, possibly to make you a core creative. Yeah, I, well, and then I, I think the other thing too is that I tend to think of all the autobiographical works as like, as like a bigger picture, like to, when you put them together. So like, like one book, for example, might have a lot of boundaries in some way that that limit like what you're seeing from that book. It's like a very limited view of me as a person or as a character or however you want to put it. But when you when you read 
like the other books, like they all kind of inform each other. And so it's kind of like a a tapestry of information that like combines to like it's like almost like gets around those boundaries maybe. I also ask this because in little things you're very clear about when things happen in that. You actually date the stories if I'm thinking of the right collection. That's that's the one that's yeah, where you're you're very clear as to I this happened during this particular time. Uh, I drew this during this particular time, and so as a result, it seems to me there's, there is a, an effort on your part to be truthful here. Yeah. Well, and yeah, no, I was just ripping off John Porcelino with that, where he it happens with this. No, um, no, actually, I was ripping off John Porcelino with that. No, I, I, I think, um, well, I do that, and and like if you look in like in Unlikely, where there's the. The, the drawings from photographs or AIU where there's the receipt from the dinner. Um, and that's just kind of like like just additional way of telling people like that like despite those boundaries like I'm trying to be as honest as possible and as forthright as like like as like you know obviously like there's probably some weird subconscious thing going on like that there's things that I'm not saying or like things that like I'm in denial about maybe but um, but like what I'm trying to do is is be honest so well, it's kind of authenticity essentially I mean through all yeah. of this information yeah it's, it's like it's like to it's like to to show that like this is that it's almost like a way of like a uh, way of showing trust to the reader like like you can trust that, like these things seem authentic, and you can trust that they're authentic because here's some evidence that what you're seeing is real. And um, but yet you're eschewing the notion of inventing, say through like the robots, say through some of this more recent stuff. So this is interesting to me. Do you feel that that is in some sense more inauthentic? I mean, we were talking about you tell a lie, you find the truth within the lie, and yet here you are really striving for some kind of truth. And so I mean, I know this is a a hell of an argument to bring at you at a comic convention, but I have to know. I, I don't know. I'm confused now. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> no, I but I mean, so why, why are you hesitant or resistant or reticent to pursue lies? Well, just, I, but, I don't, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I, I mean, like, why, why did everyone raise such a stink about James Frey's, you know, he, he had this, this biography where he yeah. created some fictional elements and people had a really real problem with that so there's something about like people that where they they want you know they want to know that they can trust their narrators that that what they're being told is is true and so I'm hesitant maybe to break away from that in, in the within the autobiographical books because if I if I do that in one book then it can undermine what's what's happening in the other books, which is like why like I go back to saying like like all the books kind of inform each other. So like so like if 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 I do a book that's like like Seth's um, it's a good life you don't weaken where like it turns out that you know like this this cartoonist is made up and it's not real. Like like if I did that for a book then like people would start to question other books. And so it's like then like it's kind of like a house of cards at all like people who think like oh like not like well, I don't know, this guy's that would full be, of shit and that, that would be fun 
No. Well, don't you think if you were well, to have like say some sort of? I mean, and I I guess I've I've kind of dabbled in it. Like, be a man, kind of. It's know, it's a little more overt way of doing that, and um. So it's just. Uh, I don't know. It's like it's just something like I I'm I try to toe the line or. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like I. I'm maybe it's my OCD or something like I'm just too. Like entrenched in the idea that things have to be a certain way to, to, break fully out of them at any point. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'll totally surprise you. I won't ask any further. But but it's a pleasure. Thank That'll you so much. Maybe like ten years or something. But. Ten years from now, prepare to be surprised. Fair enough. Okay. All right, man. It burns me like no I'm sorry. Oh, that was it. Yeah. Well, you two are talking it up like they're yeah, talking. The fox deal is closed. All right. So everybody, the fox deal is closed, no, and everybody. No, 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 if the deal is ongoing though, yeah, sorry, if you want me to stop, I want to have representation just to, you know, like the legal stuff or, you know, the, the inside baseball stuff. I like this guy. He did right play Kazoo. I'm only starting with him, but I like it. Just, you know, just FYI. And if you, that was where I was going. It's if they have the same vision for you that you have for yourself. Yeah, so far, like I was saying, I'm optimistic. I kept saying, I know. Yeah. And they're all like, no, no, MTV. Sure you don't want him. Sure you don't want him to rewind and take over it. How am I gonna? What am I gonna do? I'm rewinding. You can tell me to stop, and I'll like stop. Sean Penn, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> that would make the news at least. Yeah. But um, can I ask you, uh, Kyle, what, what what's the deal with um, Cowboy Wally Two? Oh, uh, I don't know. I. I I've been waiting for that since I first saw that image on your website ah, yeah, some I, time ago. You know, I I was working on it and things things change. Years, you know, you you see different as things change over the years. You see different opportunities arise. You know, and so like I'm doing special forces because the timing is right for that. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Working in the direction. Uh, Nat Turner is an educational thing, and I've seen that market evolving over the last couple of years. The library, yeah. graphic novel market. So there will come a time when when the time is right for Cowboy Wally. But right now, I don't see a market as clearly as I see a market for the other books I'm doing. Okay. Has, has have books like Special Forces and Nat Turner been selling very well for you? Because you said you don't make money in comics. I heard you say earlier. That, well, yeah, because I don't try to make money in comics. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, they Special Forces is only I've only done two issues of the comic book. Right. So uh, it's popular so far. It would be more popular if I actually got it out on time. And <laughs> and when the uh, hardcover comes out, then we'll really know it. Right. But it's, you know, people like the subject and people like the character, and it's it's just me screwing up the deadlines that 
Well, because I wonder with all the work that you're doing with uh, with animation mm -hmm. and, uh, and trying to get all these shows and stuff, if it's hurting your comics output, um, you know, do you find it's hard to juggle these things? No, because I'm the boss. I I put them out when I'm done. I just yeah. If it's not done, I don't put it out. If it's no good, I don't put it out. That's why I work the way I work. But does it? I mean, it takes a lot of your your time away, so you can't get the the stuff done more quickly like you might have in the past. Um, I my priority with the stuff I do myself. When I do Plastic Man or when yeah, I do uh, Superman or something like that, you have a set deadline. Yeah. I do a lot of TV. I worked on Phineas and Ferb most recently. Yeah. When you have a deadline, a TV show has to come on every day, right. or you're fired. So I, I just turn those in when they're supposed to be turned in. You work as hard as you can until the day comes when they take it away from you and you say, okay. The books I'm doing by myself, I have, the main reason I do them is because I want them to be good. So I work on, like Special Forces is very late and it's entirely my fault because I wanted to fix the ending. I, I wanted it to be a certain type of story. And I... For, for special forces, I think I I want to I want to have a certain number of thrills per issue. It's an action story, so I I feel I need three big moments. I, I know I need three big dramatic bombs exploding or something like that to, yeah. before I will release it. You know, so I finally thought of the third funny stunt, and now I'm doing it. You know, but I'm also rendering it out in 3D and stuff. And there's a lot of work, but I'm just very committed yeah. to taking as long as it takes to do it properly. And that's why Nat Turner was took so long to come out also. Yeah. You know, because I did the first issue and then it was like two years before the last issue came out. It was only a Yeah, I remember months. that. But but Nat Turner was really beautiful, so I was sort of That's like, what I'm yeah. saying, is I did yeah. as long as it takes. So it's not hurting it. It's what would hurt it is if I rushed the work and put it out before it was any good. Yeah, but I'm always scared with you that you're gonna do be like uh, you're gonna do a Ben Edlund and just stop doing comics and do TV because it pays better. And um, I already did that. I did that in the '90s. I didn't do. I, I didn't that's do any right. Comic books all through the '90s. That's right. You didn't. You did uh, after. Yeah, you did that run where you did. Um, you know why I hate Saturn and Cowboy Wally and everything, and then you just sort of stopped for a while, which uh, which sucked for for those of us who like your comics. <laughs> How did people like my TV shows? Yeah. We're happy. <laughs> but what? I mean, it seems to the impression that I get is that you've done a lot of these I'm sure sort of kids saying, "When you're doing more Phineas and Ferb, Kyle." <laughs> are there kids saying, "When are you doing more Phineas and Ferb?" Kids like that show. Yeah. yeah, it's a good show for kids. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Um, it's still coming as soon as I figure it out. What happened? Make sure I didn't miss it. Well, the problem. Well, no, no. What happened? It was an it's an anthology, and every now and then I keep selling a part of it. Like there was a, a feature. I done a little six-page story called How to Draw Stupid. But then Watson Guptill approached me and they wanted me to do a book about how to draw. So that chapter became a chapter in the Watson Guptill book. Uh -huh. Which means now there's I gotta do another six pages for my and then that's happened more than once on this project, so that's why it hasn't come out yet. You bet. They're nineteen. I just remember a script that we did years and years ago. It was sort of it sounds like a dead story almost. It's sort of, it was sort of like calls and kept coming and people kept wanting to do things and I forget I can't remember where I saw it. It's gotta be fifteen years old. Yeah. Yeah. 
talking about. It seems like that, that's just the same guard out of how busy I was, yeah. How about all, all the different, like, offers and interruptions and whatever coming at you? It comes and it goes, sure. Well, it, but it seems, I'm sorry. Can you describe that to my wife, Oh, sure. <laughs> One of the few reasons she reads code that that's pretty good. That's rough. <laughs> right? Well, he, I do too. I mean, yeah. But he's one of those guys that you can give to people who don't read comics and they're like, wow, this is great. Like my nephew, who barely reads comics, is addicted to uh, the bakers and, and all stuff. See? Yeah. Well, that, I think, I mean, that's one of the big reasons I don't read more comics. These kids don't read them? No, it's that the people who like my stuff don't read comics. Uh, <laughs> Right, but I, I gotta tell you, when I, when I get that all the time. My well, wife loves your stuff. My kids love your stuff. But the impression that I got was that you've done a, you 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 tried to do a, a lot of uh, uh, animation stuff that's gotten thwarted. Like I remember uh, you were trying to do uh, Noah's Ark. Yes. And and that never happened. And you know, do you find that it's frustrating? Because in comics, you can do. I mean, well, there's especially no never happening. Um, it's a it's a thing of finding the right circumstances. Uh -huh. um, everything changes from year to year, and for example, now uh, in the age of computers, right? Animation, the costs of producing animation has gone down. Um, the, a couple of years ago, everything was outsourced to Asia. Yeah, and now. Uh, with computers, I'm trying to bring everything back to the United States, and because uh, it is possible with computers, so so projects don't die. It's just, like I was saying before with Cabaret, it just the timing changes on things, you know. So I may do the Noah's Ark thing next. Huh? So Noah's Ark may may still come out. Yeah. Well, let's say you know when you. Like I. Yeah, I did that show for Disney, uh, and Nickelodeon and Disney always have this ongoing competition. So one one year, Nickelodeon is number one, and you know they've got SpongeBob, and Disney's trying to find, oh, we need the next SpongeBob. You know, cut to five years later, and you go to Nickelodeon, and they're like, we need a new High School Musical. We're trying to, and Disney's number one again. Right. But then Cartoon Network will come up with an idea, or Fox will come up with an idea, and they're not, you know, so. That's why I think things change. Like right now, I'm doing a lot of stuff with the bakers because families have come back in style. You don't really see. Uh, there used to be a real. When I was growing up, there was a real glut of eight o'clock family shows, the growing pains, still Cosby imitations. Yeah, yeah. And then when The Simpsons came along, which was sort of the anti-Cosby, it was uh, you know edgy, yeah. where Dad was. Well, on the Cosby Show, you know, Dad was always good, and the children were always clean cut, and you know, no smoking or anything. And then you got Simpsons, which were a bunch of badasses. Right. But then everything goes to that. So now every TV show, the families are crazy, and the dads a jerk, and you know, the kids are. So right. Now everybody's saying, "Hey, I'd love to see one of those cornball family shows with the, you know, where the dad is wholesome and you know." So it goes back to style. You know, like I'm doing a war story because. We're at war, and right. people are interested, you know, so I'm doing like a MASH type of thing, which was the last time people were interested in a war story. 
But do you find then that, that, that styles and trends dictate the kind of art that you create and the kind of work that you do? I tend to have a lot of ideas and I tend to work on multiple things at the same time. Like the bakers I've been working on since 2003. Right. And probably even a little bit more than that, but the first comic came out in 2003, so I've probably been working on it since 2002. Uh -huh. So the way I decide what projects I'm doing is based on what's going on this year, and uh, what do I have in my head that I can sell. Like Special Forces is a good example. Um, for, for about 10 years now, I would say, I've been trying to, I've been wanting to do like one of those hot chicks with a gun type of story. No, I love those, you know, the Lara Crofts and the, the right, barbed the Buffy, wire. The vampire Buffy, yeah, and yeah. I always said, well, if I could come up with a hot chick who fights monsters, just anything, I was yeah. trying to think of one. But you don't want to do a rip-off of it. You know, right. Like, hot chick that fights zombies, there's too many of them now. There's too yeah. many vampire fighting girls. So, when I came up with the war story, I said, oh, here's a good opportunity to use my hot chick idea. Right. You know, to put into this war comic. So that's how I tend to work, is over a long time. So, for example, I'm doing uh, stuff with Harry Abrams Publishing, um, and they're doing Nat Turner now, and uh, that's a historical biography I've done, Right. and that's opened the door for more historical biographies by me, because now they've seen me do it, so like Harper Collins called me up and said, can you do a, a story about the Haitian Revolution? And you know, somebody else called me up and said, can you do a story about this guy? Will you be so, doing the Haitian Revolution? What's that? Will you be doing the Haitian Revolution? I will be. For, yeah, that's my next book for um, Harper Collins. Yeah, yeah. But you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Usually, the time is right for that. So, you know, but five years ago, nobody would have been interested, which is why I had to self-publish the book. Because if you, at the time, said, oh, I got a great idea, uh, you know, right, Black like, book, they, oh, we can't sell that. Right, it's like Bone. He had to self-publish that because nobody wanted it, and then everybody it was like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. And, and the same thing, Bone became more popular as library, and, and my stuff has actually become more popular as libraries have been stocking more graphic novels right. because they're trying to get children to read. My sister's a librarian. And more and more yeah. mainstream publishers yeah. are getting into doing original exactly. works. So now the market is is Yeah, something like The Bakers. I, I, yeah, I've worked for DC for years. Years ago, I had an idea of a kitty book with some like uh, dogs, like a like a ripoff of Snoopy, like a, uh -huh. and I took it, pitched it to DC, and they said, well, you know, our market just isn't kids. We're just, you know, like we do Scooby Doo, and nobody reads it, and, you know. So at the time, there was nowhere to publish comics for children. Right. So you had to publish them yourself. You know, I was like, well, gee, I, you know, like cartoons about families are usually considered a, a Main staple. Yeah. Real life, you know. <laughs> yeah. Dennis the Menace, or, you know, you open up any newspaper or watch any cartoons about families. You know, things go in and out of style. So now, it's time again. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I'm gonna... Well, yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
now that you've done uh, uh, creating comics, mm -hmm. what are you what are you going to do next? What's next for Scott McCloud? Well, uh, right now I'm just putting the finishing touches on uh, this gigantic reprint of my 80 series Zod. It's 576 pages, so it's all the black and white issues all combined in one book. Uh -huh. I'm just finishing that up, and then I'm working uh, to put together a proposal for a graphic novel that's going to take me a good couple of years. What, any, uh, can you tell us what kind of graphic novel, or you don't want to talk about it yet? I'm not saying much, just because I want to make sure that this one, you know, comes out of my fingertips rather than out of my mouth, like some things. But um, it's, uh, it takes place here in New York, uh -huh. and uh, it'd be three or four hundred pages long, and uh, it's fairly operatic. It's a, it's a very emotional story. Uh -huh. Now, you're somebody who spent a long time trying to get comics denichified and comics to to get out to to people who didn't ordinarily read comics. Comics is a respected medium, yeah. and that seems to have happened. You seem to have been successful in that. In that, comics are becoming more, much more mainstream in graphic novels and everything. Um, so, what is your reaction to what is happening in, in with the graphic novels and comics in terms of your movement to try and uh, you know make them a mainstream medium? Well. Um, I, obviously, I'm, I'm delighted that comics is diversified as much as it is. Uh, I can only take a tiny piece of the credit, though, because you know, really, what moves that forward are the presence of, of great comics in other genres and people doing, you know, literate graphic novels and children's comics and and comics about uh, new subjects and you know, online gaming comics and all these different genres. I think that would have happened without me, but um, but it definitely it's what I hoped for, and you know what I was certainly advocating for back in you know like 2000 or you know or even earlier in '93. This right. idea that comics could do anything. It's nice to see so many people who are who are proving that true, regardless of whether they ever even read a word of what I wrote right. <laughs> on the subject. Well, I'm sorry, go on. I I just think that the that great comics are a better argument for any progress in the medium than somebody talking about how there should be great comics. I did the latter, and I'm glad I, I got to put the idea in some people's heads, but that, that kind of revolution is meaningless unless you have the actual work. That's where it counts. So it's the Chris Wares, you know, and the, the David Bees, and, you know, the, the online pioneers, and, you know, um, well, do you, do you think you're, make a difference. I'm sorry. Did you think your creator's Bill of Rights helped any of the, uh, you know, helped show people that they didn't have to write for Spider-Man and stuff to do their own work? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, that, the creator's Bill of Rights was written right before the whole Image Comics thing. Right. But there's not really a direct correlation there, and there's not necessarily a direct correlation in all the self-publishing and independent comics that came after. You never know, though. I mean, if, if it might have lodged in somebody's head, you know, 10, 20 years later, it's been surfacing in a couple of interesting places. So it's possible that it's it's going to have an influence in this generation. But you know, uh, we we put it out there, and hopefully somebody read it and was inspired to go one way or the other in their career. But it's very hard to say, you know, what kind of influence, direct influence it had, because you never see the road that they didn't take. Right. You know. Right, right, right. You can't compare without yeah. without the creator's bill of rights. Can't rewind the universe and play it again. Right. You know? <laughs> so, um, how do you? I mean, what's your impression of the state of the medium as a creative medium now? And the turn and and do you think it's like leaning too heavily in one direction or another or, or anything that or maybe there's too much uh, manga let's say or too much Japanese or, or I mean is there any kind of impression that you get from the direction I'm, everything's going? I'm of the school of thought that says there can't be too much of anything. There can only be too little. 
Uh, I don't mind if there are thousands of titles that are maybe substandard, so long as that they give an environment in which there can be a couple of really great books. Um, I think I think manga's made a lot of uh, headway in um, getting younger people reading comics, and, and I think that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, if some of it's just kind of mulch, it's okay. It's going to go in the ground and help other things grow. Um, and that's just natural. That When it comes to bookstores and comic stores, then you have the problem of shelf space. Right. And then certainly if you have, you know, uh, comics of a particular type are dominating the market to the extent that other genres have trouble surviving, that's obviously not good. But right now the trends are in the right direction. They could go in the wrong direction. But now we have the new element of the web where there is no shelf space. Right. And so I think that's an interesting backstop is that the really compelling visions of comics are still going to have some kind of an audience on the web even if they have trouble finding uh, their spot in print. And when they succeed on the web, they often return to print. So you have things like, uh, you know, the mostly online comic uh, strip, the Perry Bible Fellowship, um, that, you know, we all thought was a really great, funny strip, but none of us expected that when it went to print that it would, you know, sell 300,000 copies and pre-order on Amazon or anything like that. It just had this extraordinary print run um, just because so many people really love the strip and pass it around. Well, you were a big proponent, uh, yeah, proponent of uh, micropayments and micropayment systems, and that seems to not have really worked out. No. The company that you were doing micropayments with on scumacloud.com uh, went under, didn't uh, yeah. I Yeah, that was a company called BidPass, and they failed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I failed to, to really make it work on my end. So we gave it a try and failed, and now we're, there are different business models trying. But I think, you know, give it time. Let's see what happens. Um, do you feel, still think micropayments are the, the way of the future, the way to do these things? The point, the whole point of the micropayments thing was just that, that there should be a market for willing sellers and willing buyers of digital content. So that's that's really the goal. It's, I wasn't, it's not about a very specific technology, um, but it was just about a basic principle. Right now, though, we're in a culture of free, right. and there's no, there's no telling. I mean, there are some people who are making that work for them and who are, you know, doing pretty nicely with that model. So I don't want to rule out any particular approach. Uh, I tried one particular thing that I thought would help and wasn't able to make it happen, but uh, the web is still very young. I mean, it's, it's really still in its infancy, so let's let's just see. I'm taking a break from that particular um, battle, you know, while I'm working on the graphic novel, which is right. a print project. But I, I have faith that the community is going to come up with innovative solutions. And I know, you know, some guys like the Dumbrella guys who are, um, you know, who are trying out some really innovative things and are actually doing quite well for themselves. So we'll see how it goes. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you.